This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I'm April Vokey, and you are listening to Anchored, my chance to interview some of the most influential people involved in the fishing world today. Here I learn more about their careers, opinions, history, relationships, and life both on and off the water. Dave McCoy wears many hats in this sport. Retailer, photographer, guide, Patagonia ambassador. He knows his way around the fly fishing industry. Dave is one of those people who isn't afraid to voice his opinion, especially when it comes to causes he believes in. I was curious to hear more about his involvement in a recent Keep Em Wet campaign, as well as his controversial stance against hatchery steelhead in the Pacific Northwest. We managed to coordinate our schedules so that we could meet up in New Zealand for a quick discussion. I've been doing this a lot lately. Actually, it's... (laughs) I should be more polished than I am. Um, I'm Dave McCoy, and I, simplest terms, I own a business in Seattle called Emerald Water Anglers. Uh, it's a fly fishing store, um, local and regional guide service, and international travel booking agency. Mm-hmm. Um, there you go. I haven't been in the shop yet, unfortunately, but do you sell uh, primarily clothing? Do you sell primarily flies I mean what what do you carry are you a fly shop yeah we're a fly shop um and I kind of hate the term fly shop why I don't know that's a good question I just feel like it gives um it leads people to believe that it needs to look and be a certain thing because it's a it's a fly shop yeah it's it's (laughs) a it's a term that people have become associated with in the industry and well, I think there are some fantastic fly shops out there. I also think that a lot of times the association comes with something that we're absolutely not. 
I prefer a fly fishing lifestyle store because um, we are wholly dedicated to the sport of fly fishing. Um, but we also understand that uh, fly fishing isn't the end-all be-all of what everybody does. And in an urban area, we cater to just, you know, we take our expertise in the industry and apply it to the general outdoors and carry stuff to allow people to be out backpacking, hiking, doing backcountry, stuff like that. What is your expertise in the industry? Because I knew of you before you had a fly shop. I, I know, I remember specifically when you came into my life. And it was when I was actually going to Roatan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 that's right. I was looking to find someone to go fishing yeah, for permit. you ended up with Greg down there. That's right. right. And you... Did you find Greg? I did. He was awesome. Dir- directly, or did I refer you to Greg? You referred me to Greg. Okay, cool. Yeah, and so I ended up looking him up. But you were hilarious on my Facebook posts, and I definitely took notice of you. And then... It was kind of a shocker because you were managing the Patagonia Cleanest Line blog, right? No, not Cleanest Line, just the fish blog. Okay, so I just remember you emailing me, and I was trying to put everything together. (laughs) But in my head, I'll be honest with you, I was like, who the hell is this guy? I'm not sure I want to lay the roadmap out there for anybody to figure out who or what in the hell I do. It's actually fun explaining it, and it's better that people actually don't understand everything that I do. It's much cleaner that way. But are you, you're a fisherman, obviously. Yeah, I've fly fished since I was, um, the Fly Fish Journal had an article, God, it was probably two and a half, three years ago, Mm -hmm. um, that was titled, Fly Fishing Ruins Lives. Well, I don't know why. (laughs) It was, it's a... It's a nod to the industry and, and how once you get into it, if you really throw yourself at it, it, mm-hmm. it, it captivates you for the rest of your life. And that's True. really what it was. And but it does the, result in a lot of divorces. It does. It can. Um, but the intro photo was a picture of me from 1970, August 1972. <laughs> so I was exactly two years, seven months old. Fly fishing with my grandfather's bamboo rod at Davis Lake. Oh, how cool is that? <laughs> so I've been doing this a long freaking time. No doubt. Yeah. Well, when did you start with your photography? You're an excellent photographer. Thank you. Um, I got serious about it probably 10 years ago. The reason that I really started to get after the photography side is that, I mean, holy shit, look at the places that we go. Yeah, tell me about Why it. Why would you not want to capture those areas? As brilliantly as possible, and we're sitting in New Zealand right now. <laughs> I know we're in the we're in the freaking thick fly rod factory doing Great the to have you here. This. this is awesome. So, what about Patagonia? When did you enter the Patagonia scene? Three years ago. And how it was did that almost happen? at a damn near the same time you did? I, I mean, I've always been a Patagonia fan. I've got stuff that's twenty years old, twenty five years old from Patagonia, and mm-hmm. and uh, I sort of unconsciously set my mind on doing what I'm doing now for the company. So Did they reach out to you? Uh, no, a little bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. So then what happens? They You get on board? Because to me, you were always more than just an, an ambassador because you managed a lot of their social media. Yeah, and still do. Yeah, I, I manage all of our fish social media or at least help filter it for the other channels. So mm-hmm. I work with Casey for stories going to cleanest line. He... That, you know, doesn't never have to, but he occasionally asks what I think of different stuff. And when we get really big stories that come to come to me for fish blog that I feel maybe Casey should look at for cleanest line, mm-hmm. definitely forward them to him. And um, the company's brought on an entire new team of of marketing strategists. So 
there's a there's a wind of change blowing through that department, and we're just now getting ready to sort of get back online with the blog and get all the new social mediums for fish <clears throat> all kind of in one place so that people can hop onto our page and, and spend hours just scrolling through the, the content. Mm-hmm. It's going to be really exciting. You're the perfect person for it, too, because you're extremely outspoken. And that's one of the things I want to talk to you about. And I respect that. I love it. I mean, I speak my mind. Yeah, it's good. No, no you do. I, I, we're two, two peas in the same pod in that respect. I know. It's troublesome, really. Yeah, it is. It can, it can come with some backlash, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> or just nights at California bars till 4 o'clock oh, in the morning. God. Thanks for that. You're very bad for me, you know. Oh, I was going to say you were bad for me. <laughs> well, we're, we, we're in mutual agreement. Then. Yeah, exactly. I think we have friends on both sides that would say that you do that without me around. Yeah. And I do that without you around. So I think we just meet in the middle. Call it's it even. Perfect partnership. <laughs> yeah. But let's talk about the social media thing. Because yeah. you're actually really spearheading this keep them wet hashtag. Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk about that. And it's always an interesting one for me where I kind of blush a little bit because I mean, the, the first few years of my career, I was gripping, you know, gripping grin queen. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, actually, three or four years ago, I wrote an article on the grip and grin debate mm-hmm. where I really just look at myself. I can't judge other people, or I try not to. No. I really try to judge from the inside out. But um, it's picked up a lot of, of steam. Like, it's about to pick up more. Yeah. What? Where did that come from? Tell me all about it. Well, I, um, to start, Brian Husky yeah. needs to get credit for it. I think he was the initial person that hashtagged keep him wet. Oh, he's, I haven't heard about Brian in a long time. Yeah. How's he doing? He's doing great. He actually, and I don't know if the, if he wants us to go live yet or not, <laughs> but he, uh, he, I think he just bought a domain name for keep him wet and is going to start to roll out a, a little more substantial campaign on the, on the reasons why. Yeah. Cause there are actually reasons there why, are. especially with certain species of fish, it's important that they stay yep. in the water and it's hard for some people <laughs> Because a lot of the times, I mean, hell, I was in New Zealand just a few months ago, and I caught this gorgeous brown trout, and I didn't even think about it. I just mm-hmm. picked it up for a photo. You know, I think about it with steelhead because I catch so many steelhead right. at this point in my life. But with certain species, I'm so proud. I can't help but think yeah, to lick that fish out of the water. So, I mean, there's going to be some backlash with this with this campaign, but I think it's worth it. I don't know that there's going to be the bat pushback maybe i think that there's going to be people that want to like everything else are going to want to bunk any science that comes out um that are going to refute anything that's said that is otherwise how could it possibly hurt to hold a fish out of the water for two or three seconds and I'm not going to go into the science. One of our fellow ambassadors, Andy Danielchuk, is actually mm-hmm. going to start delving very deep into a multi-species study of the mortality uh, increase by exposing fish to water. So um, the way I always pose it to people without getting into the science side is if I were to grab your head and hold you under the water for three, four seconds at a time then pick you up really fast and then dunk you back down again really quick and then pick it back up really fast and dunk it back down again really quick. How do you feel about that? Well, I'm probably not going to be that I mean, not you personally. (laughs) I'd never do that to you. Thanks. I appreciate (laughs) that. Um, But that, you know, you start thinking about that. And I remember when I was a kid, when my dad's friends would, in the pool, would do that. They'd grab me by the shorts and pick me up and dunk me and pick me up. And I would freak me out, you know. Mm -hmm. I'd I'd get out of the pool for half hour, hour after that and be 
and just sit in the corner. But you know, the argument is, well, did your dad's friends ever stick a hook in your mouth and drag you to shore either? Well, yeah, there's definitely, oh, yeah, there's no, there's no the end to endless, the... debate is endless, right? Yeah, there's no end to the, to the different little things that you can get into about that, yeah. So where do you draw the line? Is it just so much easier just to say, listen, don't take that fish out of the water at all? I think it's the easiest tackle out there that just makes plenty of sense. And I mean, you, you've already brought it up. Um, the photography thing, I think that, um, you know, one of the things that I'm going to really start to push and certainly out of our store and our company is, uh, we're going to do fish photo composition workshops where we take people out and part of the day is an educational component of how to fly fish. But then when we do catch fish, we're going to have a discussion on simple, easy things you can do to still capture a great photo even with your iPhone, mm-hmm. of a fish without having to remove it from the water. Excellent. Super s- simple stuff. Direction of the sun, um, vertical versus horizontal, how you position the fish to cross. You know, I mean, just, I wouldn't even say photo 101. I'd say photo one stuff mm-hmm. on, on that. And just help people understand that you don't have to take them out of the water to get a photo of, of a fish that, you know, embodies what you caught. Mm-hmm. Well, it's illegal in Washington to take the at least wild steelhead out of the water, right? Is it? Oh, oh you jackass. <laughs> <laughs> Is it? Oh, maybe you'd like to tell that to 99% of the other effing guides in the state. Oh. Is it all of Washington, though? Yeah. yeah, it's a native fish, a native steelhead in Washington cannot be removed from the water unless, and this is the beauty, unless you're going to kill it. Because you can still... On certain rivers, particularly the Olympic Peninsula, kill one wild steelhead a year. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I even want to go into this topic. No, this I'm going to actually. Fires me I'm going to leave that one for a biologist. That's oh, what I'm going to do. But so I'm going to be totally honest with you. Yeah. I feel like a huge hypocrite because, I mean, a for ten years I guided. Mm-hmm. And I would be like, all right, now listen, you just dropped six grand to be here for the week. I didn't say this, of course, but we're all thinking this. Mm-hmm. You know, you've dropped X amount of dollars to be here for the week. Mm-hmm. And you want to remember this day and this moment yeah. and this experience. Go ahead, lift it up, and we're going to get this great photo. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Now, that's not how the conversation ever goes. But when my <laughs> client is thinking that and he wants to lift that fish up, right. I've never had the heart to look at that face full of so much excitement and say, put that fish back in the water, when I have been spending 15 years of lifting fish out of the water. There's no question that we've all shit the bed in that department. So how do we preach it without looking like complete hypocrites? You have to do exactly what you did. You have to admit that we were all victims of it. We all did it. It's not that we're holier than thou and we're preaching this new sermon, you know, it's, it's in, in the simplest terms, it, it is just a, you know, helping to, to get the public to rethink how they deal with fish. That's, mm. that's all it is. It's just, a, it's just a shift in train of thought. It's not a wipe the, you know, wipe the board clean and start all over. This is what it is. It's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. There's going to be people that absolutely refuse to do it. Right. So it's like but pinching barbs. It just takes time to turn exactly into right. the way of life. That's exactly right. It's just going to be, you know, it's going to be people that have a position of, of adoration from the public, and that's people that end up on the cover of magazines, and I'll go into that in a second too, but, you know, all you, 
all these people that have tremendous followings in the greater social media world of, of fly fishing leading by example and, and just, you know, when the comment comes up, when the opportunity arises to put that comment into a, a broader public view, mm-hmm. state it. Because I'm a firm believer that <laughs> you <laughs> and others inspire a lot of people to do as we what do. you're doing. Right. It was really hard with the television series. We had to have a sit down because I will literally like lose fish on purpose. Right. So that, I mean, out of my hands, so that I don't have to take that, that shot or have to, you know, rip right. that fish out of the water. It's, it's a moot point if the fish is gone all of a sudden. But at the same time, you know, you want to be able to show the fish enough to be able to encourage people to also go and explore these fish. So then Nick says to me, have you, uh, have you ever done any work with some of the biologists? And I said, well, I've done some work, but what kind of work do you mean? Well, um, like in, in hatcheries. Well, no, I haven't done any work in, in hatcheries. Mm-hmm. But in the show, we wanted to go and explore some of the hatcheries back east. So we go in, and he told me I was going to be shocked. And sure enough, I watched them pick these fish up, drop them in clove oil, oh, yeah. stun the fish, basically rake all these eggs out of their body, and then throw these emptied out fish into the water to wait for them to regain their consciousness, where they'll then proceed to live life as normal. So, of course, I had to call some of these biologists out. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, how, how are you? I mean, you know fish better than anybody. How are you doing this and not hurting these fish? And they explained that these fish, by the time that they get to those spawning colors and by the time that they're mature enough and ripe enough to spawn, mm-hmm. they can handle that sort of handling because they're not as sensitive as when they're fresh out of the ocean or fresh out of the Great Lake system when hmm. their scales are still fresh. I'd sure love to have Daniel Chuck hear that spiel, considering he's talking about five seconds of uh, air exposure and what that does to a fish's increased mortality rate after release, regardless of, yeah, no, this is, this is a huge topic. It's just, it's so, it's so highly sensitive and we can talk about it for 10 minutes, but we both know that this is a conversation that takes years and years of discussion and work. It just takes time. I'm not a scientist. I, I would never claim to be that. Uh, Dylan and Kate and I uh, were just at the Wild versus Hatchery Symposium in yeah. Portland. How'd that go? Oh God! <laughs> um, yeah, this is gonna this is gonna end up being a big deal because they said they claimed that they had invited a bunch of non-agency people to come and present at this symposium. Who? Uh, well, they didn't really provide a list of anybody. They, from what Dylan said, it looked like there was one person from TU who was in attendance and claimed that he didn't want to be, didn't want to present. But doesn't look as though they talked to anybody at Native Fish, at Wild Fish, at Wild Steelhead. They didn't. I mean, there's you know, there's a ridiculous amount of biology that uh, is in support of of wild fish and what hatcheries do to them mm-hmm. in the Washington. Oregon area, and didn't look like they invited any of those people to be there. So they so it was had a pretty agenda, it was think? pretty slanted. The, the one thing I will say is that they're this on the science side, and I would assume this is the same way in just about everything. But on the science side, a lot of the science supported the idea that hatcheries really aren't great for wild fish. The mm-hmm. integration of the two just doesn't work. But we've seen the science. I know, I know, but then. <laughs> There's this chasm between that and implementation or the uh, management side. And management doesn't want to hear the science. 
as just flat out, period, how, at least what I interpreted it as. They're going to find the path of least resistance, which is to stay the course of what they've been doing, let science fiddle around with all this broodstock, inner integration of all these new genetics into, into fish, hoping that they find some magic cure where hatchery fish can be as resilient as a wild one. Doesn't exist. Have you seen Wild Reverence by Shane oh, Anderson? Yeah. Do you yeah, think yeah. it was pretty on point? Yeah, um, yeah, I do, and you know, I'm good friends with Shane too. Mm-hmm. We have it in the store. We play it probably twice a day. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm actually going to try to get him on one of these podcasts. Yeah, he'll be great. Another guy that's not afraid to speak his mind. Well, you can't be afraid to speak your mind no. if you want to get things done around here. That's exactly right. Politicians can be politicians. There's got to be a few people out there bulldogging shit around. So yeah, yeah. Well, you, they're not all going to love you, are they? I learned that a long time ago. Have you I'm, learned that yet? Uh, no. Let me think about that. How have I learned that yet? <laughs> Throw it back on you for a second. Oh, my God. Of course. Yeah. Look at that? me. People either love me or they hate me. Yeah. People either want to hang out with me and they want to be friends or they want me dead. And that might sound a little dramatic, okay? But if you saw the hate mail that came into me, you would understand that I'm actually not being that dramatic. No, I believe it. Um, and that's fine. That's fine. But all you can do is be true to your word and your integrity. Yeah. And I think what's so scary to me is I look back at when I was 21 mm-hmm. and I was being true to my integrity then too. It's just that my integrity was a lot different then. Well, it's, everybody evolves. That's of course. human nature. Yeah, and I'm afraid of sitting here right now at 31 and you know being so set in what I believe is right and then being 41 and going, oh God, I really said that? So, but you know, all you can do is be true to yourself at yeah. the time yeah, yeah. and that's what we're doing. I think. <laughs> I think it's. I, think. I can't wait to to see you at forty one and see what you're what you're preaching. Then it'll be it'll be fun. I know. I'm gonna want to burn all these podcasts. I'm freaking fourteen years your senior. Wow. So you have a daughter. That, yeah. She's how old is she? She's nine. Okay. That changes your perspective on some shit. Yeah. How's it changed for you? Uh, you know. For me, the biggest thing is that living in Washington and watching the pathetic at best management of fisheries in that state and knowing that my daughter wants to do this, she wants that blue rod right there. She specifically said that when she knew we were coming here. Oh, did she? Yep. Um, If Washington continues to do what they do, there isn't going to be a wild fish in that state for her to ever catch when she's my age. And... Having fished since I was two and a half and fished all over the world and fished 12 months of the year and decided to throw my, my life work into, you know, making a paltry annual amount of money. I'm not going to call it a salary because it doesn't come close to that. Um, in a sport that I genuinely love, like you said, my heart's in this, um, I do just like you. I bite off as much. Actually, yeah, I usually bite off more than I can fit in my mouth. Um, but I do it for her because I've been there and done that. At 45, I got it. I'm done. I I go on these trips and clients are asking me to fish and, oh, you should you take this. I'm like, no, you take this shot. You, you're the one who's paying to be here. You're the one who ha- doesn't get to do this every day. You're the one who fishes a week a year. Um, I'm here with a camera to capture this so that on top of everything that went into this, you get some stunning images to remember it by. 
and you know, I, I don't charge for those images for my clients at all. They're all free to their use. Oh, nice. Um, but so, you know, back to what you were saying. Yeah, I totally get it. You know, the hatchery versus wild thing and trying to, you know, again, shift train, train of thought with people on what has been and what now is in our sport is, it's hard. It's going to be, it's going to be a hard road to tow. And Dylan warned me when we went down this path of hatchery versus wild, he's like, look, you need to think long and hard about this. You've got a retail store now. You've got a business that's online and, uh, you've got, um, you've got consequences for going down this road that you need to think long and hard about because it's going to get real ugly because you're going to talk about people that are going to lose jobs potentially over this hatchery versus wild thing. Um, It's just going to be a real ugly thing. And sure enough, Dylan came and did his hatchery versus wild talk at our store. We had about 75 people there for it. Mm -hmm. It was picked up by a local blog, put out to the stratosphere, picked up by several industry magazines. Um, and sure enough, about a week later, I got all of a sudden our Yelp rating and our Facebook rating and everything got hit. A couple of guys going around and just absolutely pounding on us for the whole idea that we don't support hatchery fish. How, how on earth could you do it? Taking total personal shots at me and at us having never been in our store, never met me or any of my staff face to face. Um, yeah, I get it. There's people out there that are scared. There's people out there that are... Misinformed. Way misinformed. Mm -hmm. And quite honestly, have been been in the face of that misinformation for so long, it's now part of their DNA, and you're never going to change it. And I'm quoting Dylan here, but basically you got to look at that whole picture, see where those people are on either side of that and marginalize them and disregard them because they're not going to be the ones that make a change or keep change from happening. Mm -hmm. They're just going to be those few loudest voices that need to, but never will look inside themselves for what's true and right. And, uh, yeah, you just got to move past it. Coming up, I ask Dave to elaborate on the specifics of hatchery steelhead and what he thinks the solution is. I think what's so confusing and heartbreaking for me is it's one thing to go into a fight against an opponent. Mm -hmm. But when somebody from your own side supposedly comes at you. I have to just keep looking at them all with love. But sometimes it's hard (laughs) to look at all these parties and just not understand why we're fighting each other. Well, uh, there's there's not a divide that you can look at that's a clear line in the sand. There's really not. I mean, if there if there was, I don't think it's on the sport fishing side, to be totally honest with you. Because the way I looked at what happened at that Wild versus Hatchery Symposium was that they're preaching to a side that they're almost trying to brainwash into believing that the system works. Even though the science and the results of studies are showing otherwise. And Who's doing a, all the brainwashing? And are you comfortable in me asking specifics about You can about ask that? anything you want. I mean, if you, if you really want to delve into it, you mm-hmm. really should go 
uh, pull up some of Bill McMillan's work, uh, Native Fish Society or Wild, Wild Fish Conservancy, I think has more of it actually. Um, and just look, and the thing that, I think the thing that really pisses me off on that is this whole causation versus correlation term that people like to throw out there. And what people forget is that sometimes they can be one and the same, and that no matter what, if the hatcheries are actually diminishing the return of wild fish because of that implementation, and it costs us financially nothing to take them out to give wild fish a chance to return, in particular steelhead, then I hope it's okay to say this, but why the fuck not give it a try? But what is the opposition saying? Because there there's always two sides. This I know. So what are they... I mean, apart from all the crazy... Well, there's the economics reason? involved. So okay. if you take hatcheries away, um, people lose jobs. Okay. And that's a very real concern. That's a very real concern. How many jobs are we looking at here? Well, it depends. I mean, I'm, I don't want to throw specific numbers out that could totally be misconstrued. But mm-hmm. I, I would say this, and that is that in Washington in particular, our schools... Most of our public schools suck. I think we're 48th in the country for public education. Terrible. We've got a tunnel project going under Seattle that's going to cost God knows how much more than what it was slated to because of a stupid accident that shouldn't have happened. Hundreds of millions of dollars going to waste there. Um, But we're pumping hundreds of millions of dollars into a hatchery program that is basically helping to put our state fish, the wild steelhead, on the on the pushing it damn near extinction in certain areas. And the divide that I see that I think mo- that that we're going to try to really hammer home is that people want to believe that this wild versus hatchery thing is me, a fly fishing store, a fly angler, is coming out and saying, I want wild fish because... I like to fly fish for them, and some asshole at this convention accused me of trying to either allocate more water as fly fish only, so I had more of my own water to myself, which is horse shit, uh, or two, um, just close more waters. And I was like, look, I, I, I don't know if you remember what I told you five minutes ago, but I run a fishing business. If people aren't fishing... I don't make any fucking money. So why would I want more closed waters? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And so what it started to, what what I started to realize is that what, what the other side of the aisle within the sport fishing community needs to understand is that when we commit this from a wild versus hatchery thing, we want to get it to where the harvest comes back, but it's a wild fish. Mm -hmm. We're in New Zealand. How many people from New Zealand want to travel from here to the Pacific Northwest to chase a hatchery fish. I can't think of any. Just stay here and do it. Right. Well, let's let's break even it down. Even on the gear side. But, hold on. Even on the gear side. And this was this is this is my personal point. Yeah. You can go to damn near every website of guides in Washington, gear or fly, and if they're guiding on the Olympic Peninsula or they're guiding for steelhead, they will mention hatchery fish, but by and large, they are touting the seasons and the locations within the state where you can go catch big, wild fish. Mm-hmm. Of course. And if that means that, if that's the case, then that means that we're all marketing to the same thing, a dwindling number of those fish. And if we don't start 
to remedy that now, then we're just not going to have that. So our draw of the greater peon-sized fly community globally to come to our region to pursue these fish, it's going to go away. But to the person who doesn't fly fish, or the person who doesn't fish. Fish, yeah. Let's go over five basic reasons why a hatchery fish is not going to be good for wild fish, or why we need to have wild steelhead in our systems. <laughs> five, okay. One. Typically, they don't come back as big. Um... That's, I mean, to a non-fisher, that doesn't really mean much. Two, um... Wasn't it true also that hatchery steelhead do biologically have smaller brains and less muscle mass? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, that's a good reason why they're not returning, even though they continue to pump more and more into the system. I mean, it it makes a diverging line. Mm -hmm. We pump more in, fewer come back. I've seen that in Shane's film. Yeah. Period. Um, I, I, I'd kind of just go on the e- economics of this. Let's take it out of the hands of anglers and put it in the hands of your average everyday person walking down the street going to work. Go to the top, think about the schools, think about your roads, think about public health, think about the, the bigger picture things that are having to be closed or being pinched, squeezed, shut down, or otherwise mismanaged because of lack of funding. And how much help could some of those areas get from hatcheries just going away? By being able to dive into that money pot. Take $300 million and take it out of hatchery and put it into something else. Or take $50 million out of it, out of hatcheries and put it into education. But why are they even putting it into the hatcheries? <laughs> Because it's such, it's, the guy in Damnation says it perfectly. This is business. It's big business. But it's not sustainable business. That, that is some, that's that chasm I spoke about earlier. The science and the implementation are separated. We asked a question, we had one guy ask a pretty hard question of the science side, and all they did was just go, well, hey, look, I'm a field officer. I just, I, I'm in the water. Passing you want to know about that? Those guys pointed directly at all the managers. What about the hatchery fish competing for the same food as the wild steel? There's I hear that so often. many things that happen there. Oh my God. I mean, even the scientists talk about the timing of release of small, of hatchery small, so that at a larger size, with the idea that being larger, they'd have the ability to handle all of these new environs that they were released into because they were a little more mature. Well, at the size and time that they were released was the same time that all the wild fry is coming into the system. Part of the food for these hatchery fish. Not just competing for the food. They are the food for the hatchery fish. How stupid is that? I mean, just... I think my daughter in third grade could totally get that. Really. Well, what about some of the more reasonable guys that you spoke to who are pro-hatchery? Think about the most reasonable guy you've met in the pro-hatchery circuit. What's he going to say? What is his compromise? What's, what's his response to you? A response that actually makes a little bit of sense. 
Yeah, and that's one you I'd I'd defer to Dylan on that one. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to I'd, sit down with him you, now. You're gonna want to you're gonna want to ask Dylan that because I haven't necessarily heard a response from a pro hatchery person that made sense outside of them keep they won't say it specifically but outside of the idea that if hatcheries go away they lose their job type of thing or they've taken what is over here science side and twisted it and construed it to a point where some little sliver of information that came in is what they've latched onto and that's what they believe and are disregarding all the rest of it that's that's I haven't seen or heard anybody from the pro-hatchery side that really, that would call middle ground, per se. Do you find that a lot of the hate that you get in in regards to this subject are from people from the Great Lakes system who don't understand the difference between their hatchery programs and ours? No, you know, I think that, sadly, I think that's a great question. Sadly, I think that Pacific Northwesterners... um, (laughs) <laughs> have a little bit of a pride and chip on our shoulder in that the Great Lakes fish originated out in the Pacific Northwest mm-hmm. with Skamania and other other strains of steelhead. I'd say the Great Lakes people are proud of that too. They say it all the time. Well, that's it. I think that I think that by you know, and however it's come to be this division uh, in our minds between Great Lakes and Pacific Northwest, it 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 completely undermines the ability for us to be a collective voice in favor of what's good. Mm-hmm. Regardless of where you live, if you've ever thought of going to the place where that Great Lakes steelhead's DNA originated to pursue that same fish, you should be caring about what's going on in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, okay. And it doesn't need to affect what's going on with you in the Great Lakes. That's a different, an entirely different ecosystem with a, its own host of issues in all sorts of different ways. Mm-hmm. But... There are people that are extraordinarily passionate about those fish. And a lot of them really do, just like you said, care about the idea that that fish was an origination from over here and would love to come out and pursue them out there. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't have, there should be no line in the sand. There should be no aisle that needs to be crossed between Great Lakes and Midwest. We're, we're all in the same boat, right? really. And... That's that's another sort of thing that needs to be, you know, tackled by the right people. And gear versus fly, it's same thing. I think that that's horseshit. I see a ton of people that fish gear that take way better care of the wild fish that they catch on their single barbless hook than a lot of the fly douchebags that I see out there. Right. Oh, that's too bad. But I know what you're saying. And if we were to work together with a lot of these gear guys, we'd be very powerful. The state does not want that because easier for them to just brush aside or ignore or dismantle any sort of push from what would be perceived a fly side if they think that gear isn't behind it. And that's really what Rob Massance is, I think, trying to get at with the Bee Steelheaders thing that uh, TU just launched here a couple months ago. Okay, I'm going to have to look into all this. Yeah, that'll be something to keep an eye on. But his idea is to just coalesce all those steelhead forces into one. And I think that uh, another comment that came from Damnation that I think is very relevant to this topic, the Snake River Dams, 
no one's been there. No one knows what the hell those are. And the only way those things are going to come down is to make that a national issue. The only way we're going to be able to save and really protect steelhead and regain those wild populations is to make it a national issue. you got to have people in Florida care about these fish. How do you do that? Without sounding negative. Because no, the no, thing no. is, is even like... You want to be inspired. Listen, when I sit across from you and I have a weird sinking feeling, uh, a heavy feeling yeah, in my stomach, I know I'm going on down a negative road and yeah. that is not the person no. I am. Me either. So from a positive standpoint, because that's what you want. You don't want people to listen to your cause like a damn problem mm-hmm. and say, oh dear, I have enough drama right now in my life. I don't want to deal with that. Yeah. How do you turn to somebody in Florida who's never gone fishing, Mary Jane, yeah. Oh, that's a bad name. Uh, Billy, I don't know. <laughs> Betty Joseph. How do you say to Betty Joseph? Um, uh, we oh. really need you, ma'am. We need you. I don't want to get ahead of myself on this, but I think that this plan is being spawned right now as we speak. Okay. That's... It's, good. it's coming. Uh, it's going to be tackled with some heavy hands. And with and those hands have a lot of credit for being able to tell stories like this that are compelling to people that otherwise wouldn't give a shit. Got it. Um, Got it. It's going to be a long push, like we've talked about in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, I, it turns negative. It turns negative quickly, uh, and when you go into these conversations, but it it, sh- it needs to veer away from that. It needs to be something that draws people into the reasons you and I do what we do and why we look at water the way we look at water and what's in it and why we care about it with our body and soul. Um, and somehow what leaves our mouth and what is written and um, pervade to the rest of the world needs to embody uh, inspiration, not negativity, just like you said. But it's hard. There's going to be points of negativity, but... In the end, the result is supposed to be a positive result. Mm-hmm. You know, we want wild fish back. We want we want people to be able to go out and put a fresh fish on their table, but have it be a wild one, one that didn't cost any money to get here. That's one of the greatest things about wild fish. They're free. Yeah. Do you think that the outsider, the person who doesn't fish is disinterested in this entire topic simply because they look at us and go, you crazy people, if you really cared about the fish, you wouldn't be fishing for them. No, I'm not worried about that. I think that I think that's a, a small perspective of it. Um, I'm not worried about that at all. I'm, I'm more worried about the person that doesn't associate what we do as a form of education when we're on the water with our clients. Um... And that's conservation, skill-based. Uh, I mean, think of all the different forms of conversation you have on the river during throughout a day of guiding. They, they mm-hmm. span the globe. And um, I look at it as the utmost in grassroots education. And, you know, you have to be incredibly articulate to carry on a conversation with somebody who sits across from you politically and be able to hear and listen to what they say, digest it, and realize that they have every bit the same reasons and uh, 
um, ability to form their own opinions that you do and to dis dismount or or just completely disregard another person's opinions is very unhuman um, so I, I look at it as it's just a it's just an opportunity to spread my if nothing else you're not going to change necessarily someone's opinion but if somebody's paying you 500 bucks a day to be on the water with you um Certainly, you're not going to get in a fist fight in the first ten minutes. Right. right? Yeah. Good point. You know, it it gives you the opportunity to see the other side of the coin. Mm-hmm. You know, for both of you, and I I just hope that I've got enough in my head to be compelling enough for them to just take a second thought at some of the stuff. Because, quite honestly, I know you know this too. We live in a in a corner of the United States that isn't heavily populated and include, you know, Southwest BC in that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Vancouver's there. But outside of that, where many of the rivers that we're on are, are located, very, very small populations of people. Right. And so the insider's knowledge that we possess isn't necessarily something you can readily get in any number of the fishing magazines or on blogs or stuff like that. That And quite honestly, most of our clients aren't on those things anyway. Yeah, that's for sure. That's true. So you're there conduit to knowing more about that and to be literate, educated, and able to convey those messages in a neutral tone, you know, is very important, extremely important, and it can be incredibly effective. So as a fly shop owner, Mm -hmm. what's your, are you going to just, you're just going to stay true to yourself, stay true to your integrity, and uh, what do you think is going to happen? (laughs) oh how deep into that do you want to go you want me to just say the cursory ending oh i think it's going to be great rah 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 or do you want me to actually spell out what i think is going to happen no this we've been totally honest go for it hit me with it what do you honestly think is going to happen i'm going to be on the i'm going to go i'm going to take the positive road i'm going to take the high road on this let's hear it um i i set out to open our store with a different perspective in mind with regards to how a store should be run, how it should look, what you should expect when you go into it, what you should be surprised about getting when you leave. Hmm. Um, I don't own any single piece of the water that anyone out there is going to fish. It's not my job to make decisions on who should or should not know about places to go fish. It's my job to help people find a way to care as deeply as I do about every single piece of water on the planet. The only way I can do that is to provide enough information to allow people to get to a place where when they get there, they're completely awestruck by where they are, by their surroundings, and by what they catch or don't catch. Mm-hmm. In, that, in those moments, you bleed into people's heart and soul everything that makes you and I do what we do. I expect everyone in our store to do that. Our store absolutely is happy to help anybody figure out where the most scenic place within half hour, two hours, five hours of Seattle is to go on their own. They don't have to buy a fly. They don't have to hire us for a trip. Happy to show them and tell them where to go do it how to get there, how to find it, you know, and just enough to make it feel like they're getting some exploration on their own. 
because mm-hmm. I think that's a big part of it too. I agree. Yeah. Um, you don't get that in every store. I mean, the common denominator, the common uh, thing that you used to hear about shops was, you know, if you want the local information, spend fifty bucks or buy a dozen flies or something like that. Yeah, that's bullshit. This is service industry. It's a service industry, and you want to see in the U.S. this huge dive in fly shops over the last decade. That's because there was such a lack of service in so many of those stores that went away. Such a lack of of nimbleness with which to change with the sport uh, in conjunction with technology. Um, this is business. <laughs> So my hope for my store is that I raise a bar in our region for what a fly store should be and should be expected to be when somebody walks into it. And those that can raise their own bar to ours, awesome. I'm happy to be in friendly competition with you because you're, you've brought your level of service and game to that level. If you're unable to, business is business. It's not my job to reach down and lift you up. There's probably light at the end of the tunnel as far as where you're going to end up if you can't. And that's kind of how I feel about it. Trying not to go into my personal feelings on that whole thing. But, you're leading by yeah. example. No, absolutely. That's, I mean, that's the simplest way of putting it. And that example is just be excited about every person that walks in your store. Greet them, say hi. And don't immediately ask them what they what you can sell them. Ask them how their day's been. Yeah. Where was the last time? When was the last time you fished? Where was it? Oh, that's awesome. Cool. You have pictures. Oh, look at that. You know, come on, be enthusiastic with people about this stuff. Right. There's just too many people that are just burnt. Yeah. You know, and it's it's sad because it brings a lot of us down. You know, I know you know that. Of course, I know that, <laughs> I know, and I know you've seen that and experienced that. So, yeah, I just want to—I just want people to be really excited to be outside. I associate you with excitement. I do. Thank I, you. Even coming—you know—you come here to meet me today. Yeah. I just knew that as soon as you walked in the building, there would be this whirlwind of just excited energy. You bring that too. That's oh, thanks. It's a—it's a mutual thing. I—I'm I, always excited to see you, without question. Likewise. Uh, I, our conversations are nothing <laughs> ever short of lively. Uh, yeah, and opinionated. <laughs> yeah, and opinionated. And the, but the electricity is always positive. It is always positive. So, yeah, I love it. Well, thank you for not being afraid to come on here and share this. <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> Do you have anything you want to add or ask me? Uh, when are you going to be back up in uh, the Homewoods? Mm-hmm, I'll be there in this, well, May, June. May, June. And I'm actually going to be hopping in a car. And going on a crazy road trip all the way through to Oregon. Sweet. And stopping along the way to meet with uh, a lot of the guys who I really feel need to be heard, like McMillan and Shane. Cool. And, and even some of the, the pro hatchery guys, because I feel like I owe it to everybody just to no, listen. you gotta, got to hear both sides of the coin on it. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm going to do. I mean, I think that that's, that's the biggest thing, is if we really want that to be spun in, in our favor, you can't marginalize and segment ours out and not have the other side in there but i think the other side's afraid of getting in the same room with us well i'm going to put them in the same room good that's what needs to happen that's what we thought was going to happen at that symposium and it was absolutely not the case
I'll do it. Yeah, good. Awesome. Thanks, Dave. And that concludes this episode of Anchored. Thank you for listening, and I hope you tune in again soon.